Good morning, church. Um, as Pastor Max said, uh, we know we're all rolling with the punches here. Um, I can't think, I haven't talked to anybody yet who hasn't had some sort of adjustment that had to be made for their holiday plans because of COVID or a family member getting COVID or an exposure. Um, and so we are, we're in this together. Um, and like we do, which is, you know, honestly uh, was unplanned, but kind of a, a lead into the sermon today. Um, in the seasons where it feels, you know, uh, or unsure on kind of what life looks like, we look back at the Lord's faithfulness, and we know throughout this, you know, COVID pandemic for the last, gosh, feels like 18 years, but probably, I don't know, 21, 22 months now, the Lord has continued to be faithful to us, uh, both individually, uh, to you and to your families, as well as to our church. Uh, and so we are continuing to lean into that uh, and anticipating uh, you know, the, the numbers can, you know, have, they're on the uptick, but there will be uh, a, a period where they are kind of going up, leveling off, and then coming back down. Um, and we want you, as we have said in emails, to feel the freedom uh, to do what uh, you want to do as far as what's best for you and your family. We don't know everyone's you know, immune system and kind of where you are uh, with your health. So we want to continue to provide the online option. So hello to everyone online. Um, online option for those that need to stay at home, and that's totally fine. And we, we welcome that, uh, and we welcome you all who are here today. Our goal is to continue to have services uh, in the building, um, and so we're trying to take as many steps to make that a possibility. So like Leon said, with the, the coffee as well as the masks, like those are um, you know, not our favorite things in the world, but it's an opportunity for us to continue leaning in to having, service, having the option of having services in the building. Uh, so without further ado, let's talk about the Bible. Uh, okay, up on the screen, you'll see Matthew 2 magically pop up behind me. Um, we are going to be preaching on uh, a very familiar story, uh, the Magi or the wise men uh, visiting Jesus. And if you are new to uh, Redeemer, new to uh, the church, a church that celebrates the church calendar, uh, you'll notice that the, the colors have changed. Uh, we went from purple uh, to white. We'll go to green next. Uh, and so you'll notice also that the candles are still out. Uh, and that is because we are still in the season of Christmas. Uh, you'll remember from childhood the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, I Will spare you from me singing that right now, but that comes from the church calendar that we celebrate Christmas, not just on December 25th, but for uh, the week and a half or so afterwards. Um, and so today is Epiphany Sunday. Uh, so Epiphany Sunday, we always look at this beautiful text uh, talking about the Magi's visit to the Messiah. And I'm going to challenge you today, though it is a familiar story, uh, there is a ton here that's not only uh, fascinating for 2,000 years ago, but extremely relevant for my heart and for your heart this morning. So here we are from Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. King Herod heard this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when they rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Though we say that every single week, four times on a Sunday, thanks be to God. We are grateful again today for the fact that you've given us these 66 books, this scripture, the Bible, to teach us, to mold us, to submit under. And I pray that you would give us hearts that are willing to do so this morning. Father, convict us of sin where we have error in our ways or our thinking and draw us back to you. Father, teach us again and again about the love and compassion and kindness of who you are. And may that change us from the inside out. Father, I pray for our city as we uh, continue to be, try to be a church that seeks to love the neighborhood community around us as well as our city. I pray that your kingdom would come in Atlanta as it is in heaven. I pray for those in our church who are hurting, both sick physically as well as hurting, whether it's emotionally or relationally uh, or financially. Father, I pray that your kingdom would come. Give us eyes to see those who are hurting and hearts of compassion and hands and feet that are willing to go and love them well. Father, I'm grateful for the church, grateful for the people that you've called us into community with, and may you make this community continue to flourish as we seek to grow in likeness to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this story of the Magi visiting the Messiah, the wise men visiting, oftentimes gets read like a sweet little Christmas bedtime story. And really we've turned the entire birth story of Jesus so often into this cute kind of G-rated music with some sweet music playing in the background. I love Christmas hymns as much as anybody, but just think about away in a manger. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. We got a puppy over Christmas, and I was reminded about having a newborn at home. And when I thought about this, I was like, man, we've just had four. Maybe there are babies out there that no crying he or she makes, but that is not how it usually works. So at this point in the story, we get to the wise men. These three men, and spoiler alert, it wasn't just three men. They probably had an entire crew with them of workers and family members. And they show up to a barn as the store, as we you know, think about the story. And second, spoiler alert, decent chance it wasn't a barn. It could have been a cave, even a home. 
And they're giving gold, frankincense, and myrrh to this sweet little baby, newborn, which, again, third spoiler alert, it says that when the new baby was born, they started their journey. So these are, probably, these are probably arriving 6 to 12 months after it. So if you've got your cute little manger scene or nativity scene at home and you've got those magi right next to that newborn, like just go ahead and put them in the kitchen because they're not there yet. And that's okay if you do. I will not judge you when I show up to your house next Christmas. But recognize... That though I may have ruined this story for you, I promise no judgment on you. I mean, the hashtag wise men still seek Jesus, yes, does apply. But this story is ultimately not about the wise men. And it's certainly not about hashtags. It's about a God who is not only incredibly wise, but a God that we still serve today, who's incredibly powerful and committed to his glorious plan to redeem his people. Amen? And this is relevant to you and I today because for so many of us, when we think about life, and I don't know if it's just me, but over holidays this kind of rises to the surface more than ever. When we think about life, we have to be honest that there's aspects of our life or sometimes our entire life that feels like it's not going like we want it to go or not going as we would imagine it to go, or even maybe better put, not going how we think is best for it to go. And as people, as Christians, we're deeply drawn because of our lack of understanding, or not not just how hard life is, but we can be drawn to a place of anxiety or despair. Drawn to a place of sadness or frustration about the life that God has given us. But here in the scripture, God offers us the opportunity to lean in a little bit and recognize that though we don't always see it, I promise you that our God is at work. And that's why in his gospel telling, Matthew's gospel telling of the birth of Jesus, Matthew stamps his writing all the way through with evidence of God's absolute control over everything. And this may be something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, talking about the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, God's control, God's hand at work in our lives, but it should not scare you. It should, in essence, give you comfort. So let's back up here. Why are Mary and Joseph even in Bethlehem? So in order to fulfill a prophecy, uh, Jesus could have, God could have very easily just told Joseph, whispering in his ear, like, hey, buddy, like, make your way to Bethlehem. He shows up, you know, with a sweet-looking angel, and to communicate that, I'm sure Joseph would have done that. But instead, God caused Rome to tax the whole Roman world so they could move Mary and Joseph back to their hometown of Bethlehem to ensure the Old Testament prophecy would be fulfilled. I mean, this is incredibly inefficient, especially if you have, you know, think about a pregnant woman here traveling by donkey back to Bethlehem. God, like I said, could have just whispered this into Joseph's ear, but this is Matthew's way of showing that God has no problem at all wielding an entire empire to accomplish the fulfillment of one little prophecy. And the only conclusion for that is why does he do it? He does that for them and for us to understand that, again, he is not only incredibly wise, but so powerful and committed to his glorious plan to redeem his 
people. So he gets Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, and who comes to visit him? And this is where we, we've read this story a million times, and we think, oh, cool, the wise men came, like that's totally normal. But the reality is that these men and their crew, they came, these men are pagan astrologists. So when we think about the story, there's, there we, we take this as, oh, this is just what happened. Of course that happened. But these are you know, not just some kooky kind of stargazing club. Their title indicates that they were from Persia and they were part of the priestly ruling class. Well, how did they put all this together? How did these men and their families who, do, who weren't necessarily Christians, coming from a pagan place, how did they put it all together? The star indicating a king was about to be was born. How did they do this? The short answer is that God revealed it to them, but the long answer is even more incredible. See, these dudes are from Persia, and this is where many of the children of Israel think the Old Testament had been sent into exile. So years and years prior, we know from the book of Daniel that some of the greatest people of God were kept among the Persian wise men. People like Daniel, think about the dude, uh, he's the one that was in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three that got thrown into the fiery furnace. There's no doubt that these men who were followers of Yahweh, followers of God, that they shared the writings of Moses and the writings of the prophets with the people around them. So the place where these magi came from were places that, that had the scriptures shared to them by people like Dan, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And one of the stories is particularly relevant to this event. Numbers 23, it goes like this. It's a story of Balaam, Balaam, and it says, There's an enemy king named Balak, B-A-L-A-K, who's afraid of Israel and wants to have them cursed. So he hires a prophet, a guy named Balaam, to do it. And he is not a very conscious, not a very thoughtful prophet, doesn't really run it by the Lord and just says, Sure, I'm down. I'll go do that for you. And But God does not want this to happen. Numbers 23 does not want this to happen. So what does he do? He sends an angel that stands in front of Balaam's way so he can't go through. But he, Balaam doesn't see the angel, but the donkey he's riding on does. That donkey sees the angel holding a sword and turns to the side to avoid him. And so in that moment, the donkey knows what's up, but the man, the prophet, doesn't. And the prophet curses, kicks the donkey, and and, and tells him to keep going through. So then the angel reappears with the sword, but this time he's standing in the middle of the road with two walls by it. So then the donkey goes out of the way, veers out of the way, and scrapes the prophet's leg along the wall. And he is fed up and he gets after, physically gets after this poor donkey who's trying to help him. In Numbers 23, 30, and look it up if you don't believe me, it says at this point that the donkey looked up at him and says, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden your whole long life to this day? Is is it my habit to treat you this way? And the prophet said, No. So a conversation, God had a conversation between a man and a donkey. God opens Balaam's eyes to see the angel, and he realizes his donkey had saved his life. So instead of cursing Israel, the prophet prophesies a blessing over Israel. And part of that prophecy from Numbers 23 was a blessing that a star, which meant a king, would rule the whole world and bring blessing to all the nations on earth. 
So fast forward, and we have to think that these men from Persia probably are looking back at that story, understanding they need to be looking ahead for a great star in the heavens. So they see this unusual activity in the sky, and they say, that's it. That's what I've been waiting for. Let's go see. So God, in order to fulfill yet another Old Testament prophecy, used not only pagan astrologists, but a talking donkey from generations past. And why did he do this? The same reason. God is not only incredibly wise, but he's powerful and committed to the redemption of his people, and he wants us to understand this. So then that brings us to Herod, who we we read about here. And Herod's trying to trick the Magi into telling him where the King Jesus has been born. But Herod, a little background on him, is he's one of the worst tyrant kings of all time. And he's absolutely paranoid about losing power. When we think about the history, I think there's, you know, a top ten worst rulers for Jesus to be born under. He is, you know, in the top ten, and he's not two through ten, probably. Like, he is a, a horrible horrible tyrant king he was paranoid to the point that he had his wife killed because he thought she was conspiring against him and then for good measure he had her mother and her brother killed as well a few years later he thought his sons were out to get him so he had the three sons killed after that when he was inaugurated as king he invited all of his family's enemies to the inauguration as a show of peace and had them all ambushed and murdered the guy is lost his marbles, unbelievably paranoid, and has the power to not only harm but to kill the people that he is against. The Emperor Augustus said it would be better to be Herod's worker than one of his own children. So Jesus was born at a time when, king, when, when the tyrant king Herod was in charge. One of the worst tyrant kings imaginable was in power, and the Magi, the wise men, had gone to Herod, paranoid Herod, who's ticked at the idea of a king being born, gone to him along the way, and knowing this, what did God do? He spoke to the Magi in a dream. And as the scripture says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country a different way. So in order to fulfill the, the, the promises of Scripture, to fulfill the God's will to be done, God, God uses a donkey from, from, from past generations. It, will, it gives dreams to be able to protect Herod from knowing about where Jesus is. Brings, uses the taxing of the Roman people to bring Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem. And he does all this again. Because he's not only incredibly wise, but powerful and committed to his glorious plan to redeem his people. And so we see this from the scripture, and yes, it allows us to have a big understanding of God, but I think this is included, all of these details are included, and the reason I think it's significant to share it with you today on this first Sunday of 2022 is that you and I, despite all of our struggles in life, despite all of the curveballs life throws at us, despite the failures that we experienced in 2021 and we're going to experience in 2022, the brokenness, the kind of what in the world is going on, the disorienting moments of life, when we can look back at God, we can understand that He is wise beyond our wildest comprehension. 
And not only is he wise, he's powerful enough to move all the details of life around to accomplish his glorious plan for Jesus being born and his glorious plan for each and every one of our lives. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Brothers and sisters, if you lack peace, which we all do, Pastor Mac and I were talking this morning about a longing for more peace in our own hearts, the peace comes from this truth sinking in deeper and deeper. It doesn't come from your life being perfect. It doesn't come from all of your goals being met. It comes from recognizing that the God of all creation looks at you in love and works all things for your good. And when we understand this, it leads us to be able to rest, to be able to relax, able to trust. And let me explain how, you know, how this has helped you know, sink into me a little bit. So about 18 months ago, kind of in the beginning, around the beginning of COVID, maybe a few months before, uh, a friend of our, a friend of mine who's a member of the church, a guy named Justin Bleeker, he invited me to a meeting to where he was hosting and he had invited the commissioner of Atlanta's Department of Transportation. So the guy that kind of oversees all of kind of the, the decisions about the roads and kind of different decisions about transportation, a guy named Josh Rowan. And Justin explained that Josh was a Christian. He was in doing incredible work. And he thought it would be good for him and I to meet. So he's like five or six of us in a room together. And I honestly don't remember exactly what else Justin told me to get me to the meeting because as soon as I heard this dude worked for the Department of Transportation, I was ready to go. You see, I live right down the street here, right down Lowry uh, in Washington Park, about a block north of MLK. And at this point, for some unknown reason to me or any of my neighbors, MLK, which is one, Martha King Jr. Drive, which is one of the busiest kind of thoroughbred uh, or thorough streets kind of going through the city, uh, it goes east to west through the city, had been under construction for about a year and a half to two years. And so they had taken a road that was always busy, that had four lanes on it, and now we have more people living in the city than ever before. And they took that from uh, downtown all the way out to uh, Westview Cemetery and went from four lanes to two lanes with this cute little median right in the middle. So we took a road that we use all the time and said, let's, not, oh, let's just take it, you know, a super trafficy road and actually reduce the number of lanes to it. So when I heard this Josh Rowan guy, was showing up, I was like, just tell me the place. I cannot wait to get to, to get to my, myself in front of him. So fast forward to the meeting, and we're sitting around the table, and Just, Justin has introduced us to Josh. Turns out he's a wonderful man, um, and he's talking about all the changes that they're making around the city in order to care for the parts of the city that have been historically overlooked uh, in, in terms of you know, city planning. And so I engage in this conversation, uh, and I'm actually very impressed, but I know, I've, I've written a note down, say, Drew, don't forget about MLK. So I read, I get to that note at the end, and I say, Josh, before you go, I've got a bone to pick with you about MLK Drive. So I did my best to explain to him all the things that I thought were horrible decisions that his department had made in taking MLK from four lanes to two lanes. And he took a deep breath, and then he went through and explained kind of point by point why they made this decision. So apparently, unbeknownst to me, uh, or I did not understand, apparently MLK has historically been not only one of the busiest streets in the city of Atlanta, but also one of the most dangerous streets in Atlanta. 
So it has had, uh, you know, over, it's like he said, it's like 10 to 12 deaths a year happen on MLK, not between cars, but through beginning pedestrians who are being hit by cars uh, in that stretch that has been, it has been switched from four lanes to two lanes. He explains not only is it one of the most dangerous roads in the city, it's also super dangerous for our most vulnerable people in the city, elderly folks who do not have cars. So if they are trying to get on MARTA, they would have to cross over four lanes uh, to get to the other side of the street to get to the MARTA stop in order to catch the MARTA bus to get where they needed to go. And so I also explained to him that I thought it was ridiculous that it's two lanes because whenever they pick up trash, then we always have to be behind the trash truck. Whenever they do the post office runs, we had to be stuck behind the postal worker. He had an answer ready for that as well. He said that that's about 22 minutes a, a week uh, that I have to wait behind that if I catch every single one of them. It will be 22 minutes a week. And overall, he said, we understand the cost that this is to traffic, but we, but we value saving lives over you getting places a little bit slower. So as a pastor who is very pro-life in all aspects of the way, from womb to tomb, I had to look at him and say, you are absolutely right. Like, it's, though it is annoying a little bit that we slow down if there's a wreck or something else in MLK, when I heard him explain the why behind the things that he did, why they made the decisions they did, and not only changed my perspective on the construction of that one street, it changed my perspective on almost all the decisions that they make. I understand now that this is, you know, they have a history now of saying this is why we've done the things that we do. And qualifier, I don't think that the city's Department of Transportation is flawless. We're not comparing them to God. Let's get that straight here. But I do have to admit, as one person with a limited understanding of the big picture, I have become slower to express my immediate frustration because of that conversation with Josh. I tend to trust the decisions a little bit more. Now, I take this same idea that we know the history of why decisions are made in the Scripture. We see that God is not only incredibly wise, but powerful, committed to His glorious plan to redeem His people. And this changes, or can change, and we're invited to allow it to change our day-to-day experience of walking with God. And I think most of us, not not all of us, like I said in the beginning, struggle with some level of worry or nervousness. And like we always do, we're not saying that all issues of anxiety are fixed with just understanding the Bible more. We are big fans of the medical professions like psychologists and psychiatrists and therapists. But I also think that a lot of our anxiety, a lot of our worry, a lot of my worry, comes from simply not understanding, not believing that God is good, He loves me, and He's in control. We look at our lives like I looked at MLK Drive saying, God, you have no idea what you're doing. If I was in charge, I would do this totally different from you. We may not say that out loud, but gosh, we think that. God, why am I suffering from this disease or illness? Why doesn't COVID just go away? Why does fill-in-the-blank of a family member seem to be having such a hard time in life right now? Why does my career to be, seem to be a series of dead ends? Why did I come back from vacation and like one, one member of our church, our home, their home was flooded? Why did my car break down at the exact wrong time? And I don't have the answers to all of these questions, but I do know enough about the Scriptures to say we can trust that God is powerful and in control. 
And the beautiful thing that as hard as it is for that to sink in, the same care he gives to Jesus 2,000 years ago, he gives to us. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. My invitation to you and to myself is to let this sink in. Because at some point this week or this year, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to say to yourself, this doesn't make sense. The way this is going does not make sense. I would not be doing this if I was in charge. This is not how I would plan it. But looking back at who God has proven to be, I promise you can say, but I trust you, God. And we can rest assured that the God who had Mary and Joseph come back from Bethlehem, come back to Bethlehem, who literally moved the stars in the sky to bring those magi, who saved baby Jesus from a tyrant Herod, that same God, as Romans 8, 16, and 17 tells us, that same God, we are co-heirs with Jesus, that same God has ordered every aspect of your life and my life to his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the beautiful truths in Scripture that we serve a God that is good and powerful and in control. And may you give us hearts that trust that. May you give us peace that comes from you and not from our circumstances. And may we lean in to what it looks like to rest in your power, in your control, in your love this year. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.